Well, what not a sweet time of worship? Just felt the, the Father's delight in us as his children as we fixed our gaze upon him, delighted in him. I want to, I want to read a couple of verses after the end of where uh, uh, those verses from John's Gospel we heard. Because Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You know him, for he lives in you and he will be in you. So I wanted to talk this morning about the, uh, this cry of Abba, Father, and, and what that might signify and why that's important to us. There's, in reality, there's, there's a strong correlation, I think, in our society between the struggles we're having, particularly in our families, and fatherlessness. Absent, missing, struggling fathers. I read recently of some research coming out of the UK that said if you grew up in a household without a, a father present, you're five times more likely to commit suicide. You're 32 times more likely to run away from home. 20 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. 14 times more likely to commit rape. Nine times more likely to drop out of school. 10 times more likely to take drugs. 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Now, statistics can say all sorts of things, but there is a reality we're created to have fathers and to grow up, and yet many are growing up in a fatherless generation. In fact, over the last 40 to 50 years, we've gone from an average of one in almost 15 households being without a father to a little over one in four. That's significant. There's an impact. Now, there have been times when it has been like this, but that's been after wars. First World War, second, which took a whole swathe of fathers. That was a different situation. But it was a war, and we're at war still today, I would suggest. It's a different battle. And very often the church is fatherless in the sense of missing men. And not just that we're not here, but are we engaged as men? All of us, whether we're men or women, we, we grow up with a deep and abiding longing for the blessing of our fathers for the affirmation, uh, for the sense of value and worth and empowering that comes. And I often get to sit down, and this broke down quite recently with men still in old age looking for the fa their father's blessing. It's so much a part of our wiring. And many just lament, in a way, the poverty of relationship with their fathers. This last weekend, a good friend of mine came to speak at our retreat. And he came barely a week after the death of his father. And, and he spoke of a father who deeply loved his children, who prayed. In fact, Louis said, I don't know what difference it's going to make if my father prayed for me every day, as he did for all of his children. In fact, shortly before his death, this father was meeting, and, and he's, he was almost 90 years old, he's meeting with students, to know what's going on in their lives so he can know how to pray for them. That's the father spirit wanting to bless children. 
Because it's not just natural children, it's spiritual children. There is something to be released into the body. I am thankful that God, but you know, David declares in Psalm 68 that God is a father to the fatherless. He won't ultimately leave us fatherless. God sets the solitary in families. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. And as fathers, we can do the same today. Now, this message is not just for fathers. I'm kind of going to hone a little bit on that dimension. But it's true of mothers as well. We have the power to speak blessing into the generations that are to come. And it's important that we do that. And we do so not on our own, but we do this through an empowering that comes through our own experience of the blessing of the Father, the Father's blessing. I don't know if any of you got to Toronto back in the 90s. Anyone go to the airport vineyard, as it used to be called? I actually went a couple of times in the 90s, and um, it was dubbed the Toronto Blessing, but John Arno, who's a pastor there, always talked about this is the Father's blessing. This is God the Father speaking to his children, I love you. It's a simple message, but it is a profound message to changes. I believe in you. I am with you. I am for you. And one of the things the Spirit does for us is that the Spirit brings us home. He brings us towards our destiny. He brings us towards the Father, who is both with us and for us. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, that's the NIV translation of a word that actually says sons of God. And obviously, they're trying to make that, you know, communicate, well, this is, this is not an exclusive for men. This is for men and women. It was an in inclusive expression. And uh, so children seems a reasonable translation to communicate that. However, we lose something in that. Remember, in, in that day, with that mindset, sons were significant. And the firstborn son especially was significant because he was the one who gets the double portion. Seems a little unfair to us, doesn't it? However, that was the Lord's order, and we see that through the patriarchs and through the families. And God wants us to know that in Christ, we are a part of the double portion. Wherever we're born, however late we come to this, whether we're male or female, we are a part of the, the firstborn son's blessing. Amen. Indeed. Hallelujah. And so when we are led by, so it's not just we have the Spirit of God, but we are led by. These are the sons or children of God. Are you led by? And that word carries the meaning of not just walking in obedience, but it's being carried by the Spirit. There's energy that comes from Him. And we're invited to live up to that which God has declared that we are, but not in our own strength, but in the power of God. That's all of us. Knowing that we're already there. We don't have to do this to achieve or earn anything. We're already part of the firstborn blessing in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit has been given as a, as a kind of a down payment, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come in fullness. However, for us to realize that, for us to be led by the Spirit, Paul has reflected on this in some of the earlier verses. He says, you're to walk according to the Spirit. It's a relationship. It's not a static thing. Relationships are dynamic. 
they're either growing cold, warmer or growing colder. They're moving towards or moving away. We can't just rest upon our laurels. And movement, walking, implies um, <coughs> I was once here and now I'm here. Which direction am I moving in? Who am I listening to? You see, our life is not meant to be a passive thing when it comes to our life in God and with God. We've got to, in a way, spend that which has been deposited. It's interesting, one of <coughs> my parents are quite aged, as you might imagine. See how aged I am. Um, I was just reflecting with somebody, it's kind of 11 years ago since my dad felt able to travel to the U.S. Because he was about 83, 84 at the time, now he's 94. And so they're in the latter stages of their lives. And yet, strangely, very often for my mum in particular, spending money is stressful. They have more money than they need. They have about four pensions. They've sold their property. Um, they'll never run out. And yet there's a fear. And that's sad, isn't it? Many of us are believers, as believers are no different. We have a fear. We've, we've, we don't have it in us. We've, we've run out of resources. And yet this spirit is going to carry you with limitless resource. We need a revelation of that. We've got to spend what's in the bank. He also tells us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. When we fix our mind, you see, this takes work. We've got to be proactive. We've got to appropriate truth. Because believe you me, left to ourselves, our minds will drift in a different direction. But when we set our minds upon the Spirit, the reward is life and peace but it's not guaranteed. If our minds are carnal, now Paul is writing to Christians who are filled with the Spirit, and he said, if you live with a carnal mind, which essentially means it's, it's all about me, it's prideful, it's self-centered, it's not God-oriented, it leads to death. With your carnal mind, you cannot please God. But with the Spirit, when, I, when we focus on the things of the Spirit, which is essentially the things of Christ, because he's the Spirit of Christ, it leads to life and peace. And he also says that the body is dead. Why do you rely upon your body in terms of your physical strength, your mind's mentality, what you've accumulated as a physical human being? He says there's no life in it. But the Spirit is life. And God has given a deposit through His Spirit with you that is indestructible. You have to learn to depend upon that. That's what a relationship of love is. That I give up my own sense of identity and I orient myself to this other and I find my life in the blessing and pleasing and giving and depending upon the other. And we together enjoy the blessing of that union. We've got to learn to depend upon this life that has been given to us and not focus on ourselves. That's the carnal mind. But the more we do that, the more we will come home, the more we will come into the blessing of the fullness that is ours as firstborn children. Secondly, the Spirit brings freedom. The Spirit brings freedom. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. 
Remember, the Jews had a very powerful identity of what it meant to be slaves in Egypt. It's everything about their past. And God delivered them miraculously into the promised land from slavery in Egypt, where they were under hard taskmasters. But most of them couldn't get Egypt out of themselves. The Spirit does not make you a slave to fear, but you would live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. What is slavery to fear? What does it look like? What does it mean, this Egypt thing all about? Well, it means a lot of hiddenness, aloneness in our lives, a lot of self-protection, self-reliance in our lives. There's a struggle to believe who we really are and believe who God is for us. And so we live out of our own resource. And we don't experience freedom we experience greater fear. But John reflects on this, says, what does he say? There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. We reflected this on the weekend, how often in our sort of carnal mind, in our self-reliant manner, when things go bad, we, we talk about the force field comes up, the shields come up, the defenses come up, and we revert to ourselves. And in that moment, we think we're doing a good thing for ourselves, but we are cutting ourselves off from perfect love that drives out fear. Because God cannot be with us in that place. Perfect love drives out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And when we're fearful of punishment, we're missing the freedom of the gospel through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit brings us into a place of adoption. Now that word, now the Spirit doesn't make it all happen. Christ made it all happen through his death upon the cross. The chains are broken. We are set free. It has been done. It is finished, Jesus declares from the cross. Your sin is paid for. The invitation is free to all. However, all do not walk in it. We don't always walk in it all the time. We appropriate that. It becomes real to us through the Spirit, through the reception of the Spirit and the walking with Him and the submission to Him. And that word adoption talks about um, a secure place of sonship. That's what it literally means. We're, we're adopted now into a family. And this was a Roman practice, not a Jewish one, a Roman practice. And Paul's writing to a church in Rome. And very often politicians and others in power would adopt, you know, the best into their family to, to continue kind of their name. But the moment a child was adopted, they were declared to be part of that family with all of the blessings of that. So the readers would understand the significance of that. And this is what the Spirit does. He brings us into a secure place of sonship in the family, affected through our baptism into his fullness. This is, um, some of you have heard of John Calvin. Geneva, one of the leaders in the Reformation, sort of a, along with Martin Luther. And uh, this was his number one label for the, the, or title really for the Spirit. And I love that, that he brings us into freedom. By him we cry, Abba, Father. One of the most profound experiences in my life, in my spiritual life, 
would have been a time of God revealing that to me in a measure that I was almost unsustainable physically. As I may have mentioned before, I spent a period of time on the floor um, bawling my eyes out. But there was, there was a cry coming from the deep within me, and it was the cry of Abba. It was the cry of the longing for a father in God. Papa. It's an Aramaic word. It's so significant in the life of Jesus that the interpreters didn't want to even translate it into New Testament Greek. They wanted to maintain the intimacy of the word so that we would understand we're invited into an intimacy with the Father just as Jesus had, as the Son of God had. So we have. I'll just finish by this. The word cry is a deep guttural cry. It's the same word is used in the beginning of Mark's gospel, a couple of places in Mark's, uh, in the first deliverance that Jesus enacts. And as the demons come out of a man, they shriek. That is the measure of the cry. And for us, it's, it's a cry of the fatherlessness, and yet it's a cry of delight in the revelation of the father heart of God for us, of our acceptance, our belonging. He's bringing us home. We're just children, loved deeply, lavished, John says. The Father's lavished his love upon us. And Abba, the cry of intimacy, is to become normative for people. And the Jewish people would barely bear to say the name of God or write it. And now we're called to call him Abba, Papa. Beautiful. That's why we sing, he's beautiful. He's our Father. And part of the, the cry of deliverance is, I know many of us struggle with that notion of Father because our fathers weren't everything we would have loved them to have been. And the Holy Spirit wants to bring us a revelation of authentic fatherhood. Not as a judgment against our fathers. He loves our fathers as well. But he wants us to experience the freedom that the Spirit brings. And finally, the, the Spirit brings assurance. In Ephesians, Paul says, he's the deposit guaranteeing. It's like when you put a, a deposit down on a house. You know, you're committed to it and you will see its completion. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you know that? Do you know that testimony? Do you know the inward, the Spirit speaking to your spirit that you're a child of God and you are secure, you belong your shame has gone. Your guilt has been removed. You are free to know and enjoy and to reveal this life to others. Thanks be to God. He wants us to know. These are the words that the Spirit whispers into us, that, that he abides with us. He's, he's there. He remains. He wants us to be confident that we've passed from death to life. That we have a future that is certain and steadfast. He wants us to experience the love of the Father because it's poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know that we're heir of all things. Anything that is Christ is ours because we're the firstborn. In Him. If we're in Him, this is His gift. This is His lavishing of love. This is what empowers us 
to go and do greater works. It's the cry, Abba, Father. It's done. However, there's one little caveat Paul unfortunately throws in there. He says, if we suffer with him, we'd rather not go there. Let's be honest. To love is to suffer. It's a guarantee. But it's still the call because it's the call, it's the way of the cross. And it's the only path that we're called to. And he will help us through it. But our path is no different from Jesus' path. <coughs> and it's a, it's a call to truth, and it's a call to be willing to put everything out there. And there's no guarantee that we will hear that and respond to that fully. In fact, probably none of us will fully. But nevertheless, that's the invitation. To love is to suffer. And yet as Christians, we struggle with the call to love, if we're honest. And my prayer is that we would have such a revelation of the Father's love, that we would not need to resort to the flesh, to the carnal mind, to the games that we play. We, we worked for quite a while in a company, a um, very kingdom-oriented Christian company, and a, a new CEO came in recently, and a spiritual Christian, and yet slowly we began to see ways of carnal thinking being expressed through things that are hidden, things that are not communicated. And ultimately he has an affair with somebody in the, in the place, and he's lost everything. He's lost his job, potentially lost his family, his children. That's not the suffering we're talking about, but that is the death that comes to us when we walk in our ways. Last week, Louis talked about, on the day he was, um, he found out that he had uh, prostate cancer and his world was rocked and he, he walked out to a park and said to his community, I just need to be alone. He gets a call from a young man whose parents had just split up and he's, he's hurting and he says, Louis, I need to see you now. And in that moment, Louis has a choice. Do I walk the way of the Spirit, or in my pain, do I self-protect and hide? And he says, uh, this is one of the hardest things to do, is to drive across town and to be focused upon the needs of this young man, to the exclusion of anything he was going through. And yet, he says, that was probably the single most impactful engagement with that young man in terms of his spiritual life, but it cost him. Many women, mothers, pay a tremendous price. Hiddenness, looking after children, giving, giving, giving. It's a high calling. It's a worthy and honorable calling. And we men stand in awe of you when you do that. It's a great blessing that you give and we give to our children when we follow the way of love, the way of the cross. It's loving those who are imperfect. It's choosing to be part of a community of people who are not quite everything we'd like them to be. It's the way of the cross. It's a choice to open my heart and trust people when everything within me says, I'll never trust another human being. I've been hurt too much. But it's the way of the spirit. It's the way of life and peace. It's the way of the cross that when people hurt me and do bad things to me, rather than projecting that back on people, just as Jesus absorbs it in his body upon the cross, we do the same and we give grace. Now, you need to be carried by the Spirit to do that. You cannot do that. Your flesh does not want to do that. But God has called, not called you to do that on your own. He says, I'm with you and I'm for you in my power. 
and my love will help you. But it's the only way. It's the way of grace, and it's the way of compassion. And I just think there's a call upon us today, because of this fatherless generation, uh, as fathers and mothers, yes, particularly I want to say to fathers in your families, and just praying this morning, reflecting upon the, the last words of the Old Testament covenant, of God's promise to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and their children to their fathers. God longs for restoration of intimacy and security in our families. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. The best thing we can do for our children and their well-being is love our wives. Build security. It's a high call. It's a challenging call. We're not to exasperate our children, but we're to bring them up in the ways of the Lord which is the way of love and truth and honesty. And the same principle needs to apply into the church. It's hard work. It costs time, money, energy. But it's the call of Christ. Paul would say, you may have 10,000 guardians, instructors, but you don't have many friends. And it's no different today, and we're poorer for it. But he says, and I became a father in Christ Jesus, through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me. After we've shared in communion, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me off the screen. But it's one of my favorite prayers that we use in, in the communion service. And it talks about the Father of all, to whom we give thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and you brought us home. See, this is what we're talking about. This is the story of the prodigal who could only see himself as a slave and God ran to him as a father and embraced him as a son. And the Lord does the same. We're thankful, Father. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. Jesus has done it all for us, the prayer says. Now may we who share Christ's body as we participate the as the body, eating the body, may we live this risen life. We who drink his cup, may we bring life to others. May we, whom the Spirit likes, give life to the world. You see, it didn't end with Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are the light of the world. We are the hope through Christ. As firstborn children, we have been given life to give away through love. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, because it's going to get rough. So we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name through Christ our Lord. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I think that's a beautiful prayer. To help us on that journey, I want you to ponder these words that were given in the Scriptures as a prayer for yourself. Allow the Lord to speak through these words. There's maybe a nugget the Lord wants to give you this morning around his father heart for you. This is his love letter to you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us, revealed in the scriptures and especially in your son. And I pray, Lord, for each person here that there would be a renewed sense of their belonging as sons and daughters children of the King with free access 
we're the ones to live. Lord, would you break the power of lies that have kept us from your fullness? Would you heal the pain that caused us to withhold and remove ourselves? And would you bring us into a greater experience of your fullness for your glory, we pray. May we embrace Christ as your Son and all that he would want to bestow upon us. And may we walk this way of spirit, the way of the cross, our minds fixed upon you. The way of life and of peace. Come Holy Spirit. Renew us. Empower us. Inspire us. And heal us as we walk. And Lord, you our hearts cry to you. Abba, Father. You alone. came among his frightened disciples behind locked doors and said, Peace I give you, my peace I will give you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. May the peace of the Lord be always with you.